0: Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. The podcast is hosted by Jeff Brunsbach and Jay Nathan. Now, Gain, Grow and Retain is built to inspire SaaS and technology leaders who are facing the day-to-day challenges of scaling hosts jeff and jay share conversations about growing and scaling subscription businesses with a customer first approach if any of these topics sound interesting to you you're going to like the podcast creating more brand advocates sas as a predominant model for business customer success at scale or the challenges of integrating new tools with CSM. Some of these topics pique your interest. You're gonna love the podcast. You're gonna love Gain, Grow, Retain. Go check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, Gain, Grow, Retain on the HubSpot Podcast Network. Today, my guest is Alex Banyan. He is the youngest best-selling business author in American history. He wrote the book, The Third Door, which chronicles his seven-year quest to uncover the definitive mindset exponential growth and success the book is a number one international bestseller it's been translated into more than a dozen languages and has been acclaimed by the new york post as a joy to read over the course of his unprecedented journey his research has led him to interview the most innovative leaders of the past half century including bill gates lady gaga larry king maya angelou steve wozniak jane goodall jessica alba quincy jones and more He's been named to Forbes' 30 Under 30 list and Business Insider's Most Powerful People Under 30. He is his generation's leading expert in high performance and personal development. He's been featured in Fortune, CNBC, Businessweek, The Washington Post, MSNBC, Fox News, and NBC News. He is a renowned keynote speaker. He has presented the Third Door Framework, the framework that he's built over the course of his seven-year journey that he speaks about in his book to corporate leadership teams around the world, including Apple, Google, Nike, IBM, Snapchat, Salesforce, Delta, uh, MasterCard, and Disney. So what did we speak about? Well, of course, we spoke about the third-door framework, but we spoke about his story. We spoke about how he hacked not just one, but multiple game shows to uh, win prizes and how he adopted the lens that he looked at a game show through to understand that there is more than one way to succeed in life and the framework, the playbook to succeed in life ultimately comes from this third door mentality and mindset. Uh, We spoke about the third door. What is the third door and how can it help you get what you want out of your life? We spoke about some stories of highly successful individuals. Some of the people that he interviewed that used the third door not the front door not the back door but the third door to get to what where they're at right now we spoke about how he has changed his lens and perspective on life and how you can do that for your own life we spoke about luck redefining luck generating your own luck we spoke about hacking situations in your life to get what you want Uh, and then lastly we spoke about a funny story that uh, occurred when he was trying to get warren buffett to interview for his book. And ultimately, although he's been successful, even if you adopt a third-door mentality, you can't get everything you want in life and some lessons that he learned out of trying to get Warren Buffett uh, to interview for his book. So he is a very smart guy, uh, a lot of great mindset and perspective lessons coming out of this podcast, stuff that can be applied to your personal, your professional life, your business, if you're an entrepreneur. uh, This is a great way to look at life differently and a lot of tangible business takeaways you can get from uh, Alex and his Third Door methodology. So let's jump right into it. This is Alex Banyan. He is the best-selling author of The Third Door.
1: The whole journey of The Third Door started about 10 years ago. So I was 18 years old, a freshman in college, and I was spending every day lying on my dorm room bed staring up at the ceiling. And Scott, I don't know if you've been through the, you know, what do I want to do with my life crisis, but I was going through it and it was hitting me really hard. And the reason I was going through it, you know, to give some context is I'm the son of Persian Jewish immigrants, which pretty much means I came out of the womb. My mom cradled me me in her arms and pretty much stamped MD on my behind and sent me on my way. And, you know, you might think that's funny, but in third grade, I wore scrubs to school for Halloween and thought I was cool. You know, that was my childhood growing up. But you and, had damn good
0: food. So that's good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Persian food was good, except when you take like a big tub of Persian stew with lamb and kidney beans and you open it up on a hot day in the cafeteria and it makes the whole cafeteria smell. That's a whole, whole other situation to unpack. But, you know, I checked all the boxes growing up. You know, I took all the biology classes, you know, study hard for the SATs. I even went to pre med summer camp. So by the time I get to college, the pre-med of pre-meds and very quickly you know I find myself lying on this dorm room bed looking at this towering stack of biology books feeling like they're sucking the life out of me and at first I assumed you know maybe I'm just being lazy but eventually I began to wonder maybe I'm not on my path maybe I'm on a path somebody's placed me on and I'm just rolling down so now not only did I not know what I wanted to do with my life, I had no idea how the people who I looked up to, how they did it. You know, how did Bill Gates sell his first piece of software out of his dorm room when nobody knew his name? How did Spielberg become the youngest director in Hollywood history without a single hit under his belt? You know, this is where they don't teach you in school. So I just assumed there had to be a book with the answers. So I'm you know, going to the library and just ripping through you know, business books and biographies and self-help books, assuming you know, there had to be a book not on a particular age, but really a stage in life. You know, when you have a big dream, you have a big goal, but no one's taking your calls, no one's taking your meetings. How do you find a way to break through? Essentially, when you're starting anything new, how do you find a way to make it happen? And eventually I was left empty handed. So that's when my naive 18 year old thinking kicked in. And I thought, well, if no one's written the book I'm dreaming of reading, why not write it myself? And I thought it would be super simple. I thought, you know, I'll just call Bill Gates, interview him, interview everybody else, and I'll be done in a few months. That I assumed would be the easy part. The, the hard part I figured was getting money to fund this journey. You know, it, I was buried in student loan debt, I was all out of our Mitzvah cash. So there had to be a way to make some quick money. So, two nights before final exams, I'm sitting in the library doing what everyone does in the library right before finals. And I'm on Facebook. And I'm on Facebook and I see somebody offering free tickets to The Price is Right. I know you, you know, you're from Canada. So, but I'm sure you know the games for The Price is Right. You know, the longest running game show in American I history. I know it. I definitely know it. <laughs> and, you know, come on down. You know, every, you know, the very, you know iconic. Uh, And I was going to school in Los Angeles, not too far from where the show filmed and the tickets were for the next day. And my first thought was, what if I go on the show and win some money to fund this book? You know, not my brightest moment. Plus I had a problem. You know, I'd never seen a full episode of the show before. You know, I've of course seen bits and pieces you know throughout my childhood. You know, when you're homesick from school in fourth grade, there's nothing else to watch on TV. I've seen bits and pieces, but I've never seen a full episode. So I told myself, this is a dumb idea. You know, yeah, finals in two days is a bad idea. But I don't know if you've ever had uh those experiences where no matter how preposterous an idea, for some reason it keeps clawing itself back into your mind. So almost to prove to myself this is a bad idea, I remember, so I'm sitting at this round wooden table in the corner of the library, and I take out my spiral notebook, and I write best and worst case scenarios, you know, to prove to myself this is a bad idea, just so I could stop procrastinating and go back to studying. So I write best and worst case scenarios, you know, worst case scenarios, fail finals, get kicked out of pre-med, lose financial aid. Mom stops talking to me. No, mom kills me. You know, there's like 20 cons. And the only pro was, maybe, maybe, win enough money to fund this dream. And it's almost as if somebody had tied a rope around my gut and was slowly pulling me in a direction. So that night, I decided to do the logical thing and pull an all-nighter to study. But I didn't study for finals. I said how to hack the prices right. And I go on the show the next day and do this ridiculous strategy. And I ended up winning the whole showcase showdown, winning a sailboat, selling that sailboat. And that's how I funded the book. And that's how the whole journey got started.
0: So I know that I've listened to a couple interviews to prep for this. And I know that's not the first. That's not the only time you've done this. So before I even <laughs> go, into the, <laughs> before I go into the third door. Um, With the game shows, yeah. How do you hack a game show? It's totally irrelevant to 99% of people listening to this, but I just want to know at a high level, where do you even go? Where do you start to go to hack a game show? I'll tell you the single
1: most. If I had to like, if someone, and it does happen every now and then where someone's like, I'm going on the game show. What's your advice? Um, It's a weird thing for people to to stop you and ask you. uh, And just for people listening, what you're referencing is I ended up doing a second game show too with the same strategy and uh walked away with a brand new car on that one um so if there's a single thing you need to know about a game show and it actually applies to business just like it does in life game shows work because they have this illusion of spontaneity and randomness and that's what makes it exciting and makes it feel like a, a casino but the You know The reality is, if you think about it, and everybody knows this, it's a television show where they have a producer and they need to have certain types of characters, they need to make it interesting. So while it looks random, there is a system to it. And again, the analogy is the same thing when you're applying for a job or you're trying to do business development. There's always, you know, it's a human design structure, so there's going to be human beings. That's always going to be the hack. And I did, I found that in my research. There's a casting producer who interviews everyone in the audience before the show goes on. And I don't care how well prepared you are for being on the show. Like, I don't care how good you will be at the job. If you don't get past the person in HR who's the, just an entry-level reader outer, you're, you're done. You're dead on arrival. Um, so the single most important thing, there's lots of important things, but the single most important thing that's make or break is you have to really nail the casting producer. And then just as importantly, I know with The Price is Right and with many other shows, there's also assistant casting producers who are sort of undercover and planted amongst the group. Because they're smart, they know that people can like turn on charisma for 10 seconds, but they want like personalities. So you sort of need to be on the whole like three hours they make you wait before the show begins. They purposely just like put you in a holding room for three hours with a group of people to see like, it's like a social experiment. Who's the most entertaining person for these three hours, not the 10 seconds we're interviewing them. So if you change your mindset to it's a three hour interview as opposed to a 10 second interview, then you have the leg up over everyone else. Amazing. So you got that done twice. Yeah. Um, okay.
0: So anyways, this yeah. is what. By
1: the way, is, I, I, yeah. I actually, I know this is completely off topic and we're not no, talking good. about job interviews. <laughs> I think about that all the time too. Like when people go in for a job interview, mm. like the job interview begins when you pull into the parking lot. 100%. 100%. Yeah. It's, I know. It's, it's good know advice. I know stories. I know stories where the hiring manager at the end of the day is exhausted and just like goes to the front desk receptionist. And was like, oh, what a day. And they're like, oh, do you see anyone good? And the hiring is like, ah, oh, there's a couple people I like. And they're like, oh, you know, the young woman in the red sweater, she was really sweet and really thoughtful. That shit goes so far. And again, I'm not saying be kind just as a shtick, but be aware, like your your interactions with people matter.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good advice. That that is that is very transferable advice very much so i think that's smart that's very smart i just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode feedback loop now if you're a product person entrepreneur startup guy like me you have at some point in your career tried to take a product to market you've tried to come up with a new idea and it's fell flat it's ultimately failed 85 to 90 percent of all new products of all new startup ideas fail why is this basically it is really hard really expensive and really time consuming to validate product market fit with your potential consumers or customers. Old-style market research is way too slow, too complicated, too time-consuming for dynamic, fast-moving teams that want to build great stuff. But what if you could test out your idea, your product, with your target consumers whenever you want before you invest in the money, time, energy, effort that it takes to actually develop a product? Well that's what startups all the way through to Fortune 500s are using feedback loop for. You get quality feedback from your target customers early and often. Feedback loop is the test before you invest product research platform. It has built-in expert templates for concept testing, user discovery, prioritizing features on your roadmap and much more. You can create your own test in minutes and get quality insights from your target consumers in hours. They set up a special link for everybody who's a success story podcast listener to test it out, to try it. Go to go.feedbackloop.com slash success. You get three free tests. That's go.feedbackloop.com slash success. You can try it out for free. You get three free tests. So if you want your next product idea or feature to be a hit test before you invest, build based on data, not opinion and launch with confidence with feedback loop. Check it out right now. Okay. So. You funded your dream. Yeah, that's how it started. You funded your dream. Okay, so you got the boat. You sold the boat.
1: (laughs) I sold the boat. I thought I was a billionaire. I was, you know, a college student. I sold the boat for $17,000 and thought I was like, you know, as rich as, you know, Mark Zuckerberg. And I remember like taking all my friends out to lunch, to Chipotle, you know, free guacamole for everybody, (laughs) you know, really balling out, really, really spending that money. (laughs) And essentially, once I had the money, in my mind, it was like, all right, now let me go get these interviews. And to my surprise, Bill Gates doesn't normally do interviews with random uh, 18-year-olds in college. So uh, it ended up taking two years to finally track down an interview with Bill Gates. It took three years to track down Lady Gaga. And when I had started the journey, when I had started the journey, there was no part of me looking for that, you know, one key to success. We've all seen those business books or TED talks, and normally I just roll my eyes. But what ended up happening over seven years of interviews is I began to realize that every single one of these people treated life and business and success the exact same way. And the analogy that came to me is that it's almost like getting into a nightclub. There's always three ways in. So there's the first door, the main entrance, where the line curves around the block. Where 99% of people wait around hoping to get in. You know, we've all seen that line people standing out in the cold, hoping the bouncer lets them in. That's the first door. And then there's a second door, the VIP entrance, where the billionaires and celebrities go through. And for some reason, school and society have this way of making us feel like those are the only two ways in. It. You know, you're born into it or you wait your turn like everybody else. But what I've learned. And what I'm sure you've seen in your own career is that there's always, always the third door where you jump out of line, run down the alley, bang on the door a hundred times, crack open the window, go through the kitchen. There's always a way in. And it doesn't matter if that's how Bill Gates sold his first piece of software, how Lady Gaga got her first record deal. They all took the third door.
0: Now, I completely agree. There is always a third door and anybody who's achieved success has with with or without knowing it right. done the third door technique but the issue with that is that the third door seems to always be this this, this series of trials and errors and figuring it out <laughs> and failing and not knowing what you're doing and then something oh works yeah and think, but like so how do you how do you no, you're you covered in that? mud your knees are yeah. scraped
1: up you almost got mugged behind the dumpster you're you know you thought you were about to fall into a pothole, but it turned out it was just a ditch. like, yeah, yeah, no, it is uh, it's not apart.: It's a mess. It's a mess, but I'll tell you, standing out on the sidewalk where it's well lit, clean and comfortable, mm-hmm. you can be there your whole life. A lot of people.: So are. I'm not saying you should take the third door. I'm just saying anyone who's actually trying to achieve a dream, a goal, become the person they know they can be. Sometimes you got to run down that alley.
0: Tell a story of of anyone, and and walk me through what their third door experience was like to put some context around it. Something really out there that ended up with that. It could have been Bill Gates, lady, anyone, anyone, just so people can get an idea of how they got.
1: Uh, I'll the- tell you one of I'll tell you one of my favorites, and it actually goes back to what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, um, with regard to the child interviews and whatnot. This is the story of how Steven Spielberg became the youngest director in Hollywood history, the youngest major studio director. So, you know, Spielberg, since he's a kid, always wanted to be a director. So, you know, when he was a teenager and he was finishing high school, of course, he applied to film school and naturally he got rejected. But, you know, no worries. He's a persistent guy. He applied a second time got rejected again. Now, that's where most people would sort of back up and say, maybe I should find a different career. Spielberg instead decided to take his education into his own hands. And one day, he goes to Universal Studios Theme Park in Los Angeles. And I'm sure many people know but for those who don't, this theme park in Los Angeles has a ride that takes you, it's called the the tram ride. It takes you on a little tram bus on the back lot of the Universal Studios film studio. And it shows you the sound stages where they make all the movies. So one day when Spielberg was about 19, he goes on this tram ride and it's driving around the studio lot. And when the bus stops for a moment, he jumps off the bus, hides behind the corner and the bus keeps going. And Spielberg ends up just wandering around the lot by himself. And, about an hour later, he bumps into this older gentleman uh, who sees this sort of pimply faced 19 year old and says, What are you doing here? And Spielberg's, you know, admitted the truth. He said, Look, I'm a kid. I know I'm not supposed to be here, but I always wanted to be a director. I jumped off the tram. I, you know, I'm so sorry. And the guy ends up talking to this young kid and sees his passion. And at the end of this hour long talk, says, how would you like to come back onto the lot for the next few days? Spielberg goes, that would be a dream. So this man introduces himself, his name is Chuck Silvers, and he's the head of the Universal Television uh, Library, the archives. So he writes Spielberg a three-day pass, and Spielberg goes back the first day, the second day, the third day, but on the fourth day, he like comes dressed in a suit, carrying his father's briefcase, and walks right up to the security entrance, waves his hand in the air, and goes, hey, Scotty, and the guard waves back, Spielberg walks right in. And now he's doing this day after day after day. He's getting kicked out by security. He's sneaking into sound stages, going into editing booths, asking actors and directors out to lunch. And he's essentially creating his own film school from scratch. And over time, the older gentleman, Chuck Silvers, becomes a mentor to Spielberg. After, you know, about a few months of this, Chuck Silvers sits Spielberg down and says, listen, kid, I need to give you some hard advice. And he essentially gives him the advice that there has to be a time in your life where you stop schmoozing and you create something of value in in order to show people what you can do. So he told Spielberg, don't come back onto the lot until you have a short film of quality that you're proud of to show me. Spielberg took that hard advice to heart. And he ended up spending months filming and editing a short film called Amblin'. It's about 22 minutes long. And when it was finally ready, he goes back to Chuck Silvers to show him the film. And it was so good that when it was done, a single tear came down Chuck Silvers' face. And Chuck Silvers reaches for the phone immediately and calls the vice president of Universal Television. His name is Sid Sheinberg. And Chuck Silvers goes, Sid, I have something you gotta see. And the vice president's like, look, there's a lot of things people tell me I have to see. Chuck Silver says, no, if you don't watch this tonight, someone else will. And the vice president thinks, says, you think it's that damn important? And Chuck Schiffer goes, it's that damn important. Sure enough, the vice president watches it that night. A 19-year-old Spielberg gets a call the next morning saying he needs to be in the vice president's office immediately Spielberg you know runs out of class rushes over in his car shows up to the office on the desk is a contract making him the youngest director in Hollywood history
0: I love that's a good story that's a really good that's a good damn example of of not even thinking outside the box just pretending the box doesn't even exist when it comes to architecting your own career and your own life
1: yeah and you know Wow. There's first of all, the story isn't we just have to acknowledge the story isn't possible without tremendous talent.
0: No. If he was a bad director,
1: you know, if he's a bad director, if he's bad at his art form, this doesn't work. But it makes you wonder, I'm pretty confident he wasn't the only person with talent in the whole city of Los Angeles. Uh, you know, you look at singers, there's a reason some make it, even though there's lots of people with voices that sort of blow you away.
0: You hear them. You look at Spielberg all the time, and they're like, "How how how are they not famous all the time?" Yeah,
1: yeah, and it makes you look at that Spielberg story and say, like, "What?" And you know, once you like can enter the game, paying paying the price of talent and skill and hard work, what makes the difference? And when I look at the story, yes, he had the courage to jump off that bus. Yes, he had the honesty to tell the truth when he met Chuck Silver's. You know, all, yes, he had, you know, all these different things, but to me, it was his ability to make that relationship with Chuck Silver's that inside man. Because without Chuck Silver, Spielberg never would have had the three-day pass, never would have gotten the good advice that he needed to hear. And he also never would have had someone put their reputation on the line to get him in, into the vice president's office. And every single third door story, I don't care if it was Warren Buffett's early career in finance. Uh, You know, whatever story you look at, you know, Jane Goodall with science, every single one of these stories, there was always an inside person, an inside man, an inside woman, someone who was within the world you want to break into, who believed in you enough that they were willing to put their reputation on the line to help you get in. And you can have all the ingredients, but it doesn't work without that inside person every single time.
0: I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Athletic Greens. Now, I'm super happy that I partnered with Athletic Greens because I literally use them every single day. Now, I've known about Athletic Greens for a little bit only because I tried them about two years ago, way before uh, they decided to sponsor the show. And I noticed that in winters, when I didn't take Athletic Greens, I would get sick as a dog. When I did take Athletic Greens... Uh, I wouldn't get sick at all. So it turns out that when you take one scoop of athletic greens, you're taking and absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. So this is incredible for your immune system. And the special blend of, uh, All of these ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, your aging. So I take it one scoop every single morning. It's lifestyle friendly, meaning whether or not you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, it's going to fit that diet, which is important for me because sometimes I like to go a little bit low carb. If you're already taking a multivitamin, this can completely replace that. It's important to choose a high-quality vitamin with ingredients that your body will actually absorb. Athletic Greens definitely takes care of that. And it's way cheaper than actually getting all the different vitamins supplements ingredients if you're going to buy them separately to make it easy athletic greens is giving you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin d and five free travel packs with your first purchase all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash success. That's right, that's a special URL they put together just for success story podcast listeners. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash success to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So is that is that the takeaway? Is it to find the mentor? Is that the first step in the third door playbook? I
1: wouldn't say it was the first step because if you actually look at you know the Spielberg story, you know, this guy's making home movies for years. Yeah. He's studying his favorite films. Uh, you know, if he sort of just showed up to, you know, Chuck Silver's office and said, oh, I just decided last week I really want to get into, like, Scott, if someone comes up to you and says, oh, I I, I decided this morning I want a podcast. Do you, do you have any advice? You'd be like, uh, sure. But you wouldn't really be like, well, this this young woman, this young man is my protege, right?
0: No, you no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You don't know. Right? But you if know. you...
1: Yeah. Right. But if you're walking around town and you at a grocery store bump into someone who's like, Scott, I have been dreaming of being a podcaster for years. I've actually listened to every episode of your show. Like, I hope I'm not fanboying right now, but I just want to let you know the episode you had on this person, really that follow-up question you asked blew me away. And I've been reading every book on podcasting. Do you have any recommendations of how to, how to break in? You'd be like, yeah, you want to just, you want to walk with me in my car and Yeah, here's my email if you have any more questions. You know, you might not take them under your wing immediately, but you'd be like, yeah, here's my email address. You you seem like you got a a good head on your shoulders. Um, So the inside man is critical, but it's a piece to the larger puzzle. So if somebody wants
0: to um, think, this all comes down to thinking differently. I think a lot of this has to do with thinking differently as to what's possible and what is not possible. So. What would be your advice for somebody to get themselves in the right mindset so that they start approaching life with this mentality that they can do things outside the norm? I I guess I'm trying to get somebody on the right. What I'm trying to pull out of you is how do I get somebody listening to this show to start looking at life differently?
1: What I've learned after 10 years of studying success is that you can give someone all the best tools and knowledge in the world. And their life can still feel stuck. But if you change what someone believes is possible, they'll never be the same. And you see it all the time. You can go to Harvard where they have all the resources and all the information. And there are kids who come out of there who still have no idea what to do and want to just sit on a couch. And then you can go to some places where there's no resources and you see in someone's eyes they're willing to do whatever it takes. And they believe it's possible and they actually make it possible. Uh, of course, it's easier if you have the, the will and desire at Harvard. But what I, I, I am saying, though, is you can have the tools and the resources, and it still doesn't work. But as soon as you change what you believe is possible, and again, it doesn't make it easy, it doesn't make it automatic, and it doesn't make it guaranteed. But when you can change what you believe is possible, nothing is the same.
0: Another and- – another, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, finish, finish your point because I have another – I want to – Touch on that, but go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I would just say the biggest thing about, you know, how you change what someone believes is possible. It's really about what you what you're surrounded with. And yes, there's like, you know, the cliche, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yes, of course. I guarantee you, you take any anyone and you take them and surround them with like five motivated, successful, kind people, it just rubs off on them eventually. It might take a week. It might take a year. You're going to change. Um, but it's also the things you consume. I remember when I was 19, starting off on my journey to the third door. You know, I wasn't hanging out with Bill Gates, but I was reading. You know, the four work week. I was, you know, listening to talks by Gary Vaynerchuk. You know, I was just, I was reading Malcolm Gladwell, and I was just sort of changing my world. And again, I wasn't doing it on purpose, but in hindsight. I was seeing that my world was changing because I was changing what I was bringing in. And people listening to this podcast, I'm sure, are already on that path if they're already listening to your show.
0: Uh, they, hopefully. That's, that's the goal. <laughs> yeah. Finger, fingers crossed. That's what, that's what they're taking away from it. Um, One story uh, that I heard you speak about as well, which I thought was interesting, was redefining the word luck. Um, It was a story of Ki Lu. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to bring that up because I'm just trying to just get rid of any sort of, like... Oh, what happened to Steven Spielberg was just by chance. It, this is none of this is by chance. I feel like this is all architected in a way. So,
1: and I'll go off and say something completely opposite that actually gets to the same place. Okay, let's go. It's all by chance. That's true. And everyone, and actually gets to the point where where I think you're trying to get at with the Chilu story. Everyone has chance at some point in their lives. The question is, does your chance manifest into an opportunity, or does it pass you by? Right, because we're all—it's actually—I—I don't know if this is true at all. I don't know if this is true at all, but I heard someone once say um, the difference between chess and backgammon. You know, chess is sort of this like Western European game of strategy and war. Backgammon has a little bit more symbolism to it. It's from the Middle East, and the main key is backgammon—you roll a dice, so it doesn't matter if you're the best player in the world. An amateur can just get lucky hands and. Yeah, and and in theory, with enough brains and lucky hands, can win. Uh, and I do think that there's that degree in the business world. You know, I look at Bill Gates. The reason he had the biggest company on earth is his skill of computing, of strategy, of was really good to have in 1980 in the personal computer revolution. At the same time, I feel very confident if Bill Gates grew up in you know, right now, if he was like a teenager right now, that motherfucker would be making the greatest AI company he would of all he'd time. find or a, he'd a be, way he'd find a way to apply. It. Or he would be like the biggest crypto, just if you look at the the intellectual power and the strategy and the personality type. Warren Buffett has a quote that said, if Bill Gates dropped you know never went into personal computers he would have the biggest hot dog stand empire in america Uh, because there are certain minds and by the way for better for worse yeah you know for better for worse uh he just has the proclivity to it um and there are personality types that just have it um all right so going to the luck the the luck story with chilo this is actually one of my favorite stories because it Sort of gets to the heart of what's possible. So I met a man, one of the people I interviewed, his name was Chi Lu. And Chi Lu grew up in a rural village, hours outside of Shanghai, China, where there was no running water and no electricity. Now, people were so impoverished in that village that they wa- some walked around with deformities from malnutrition. You know, we complained about our education system in America. In that village, they had 300 students for every one teacher. So this guy had it tough. He was really smart, worked really hard. Um, His dream was actually to become a shipbuilder, but he was too skinny and had bad eyesight. So he had to sort of like go to plan B and try to go into academics. So he studies like, you know, computer science and, you know, he works really hard and gets into college. And by the age of 27, he is making the most money he's ever made in his life. He's making $8 a month at the age of 27. Fast forward 20 years later, he's a president at Microsoft. And how this story is possible goes back to before he was famous or successful. So when I was sitting down with Chi Lu, he essentially explained to me that when he was in college, he had a realization. Everyone wants to you know, make it out of poverty. Everybody in his university that he had made it into wants to go to America to study and get a you know, a, a big corporate American job. Like he wasn't rare in his desires. Um, And he realized he's essentially just like everybody else in the sense that everyone has 24 hours in a day. Everyone is sort of shooting for the same target. And he realized something that he could change about himself is that everyone else, just like him, slept whatever, eight hours a night, whatever, whatever the normal rate is, seven, eight, nine hours a night. And he started realizing and started studying different people in history who had learned how to essentially hack their sleep and go from eight hours. So he started experimenting, reading about sleep hacks and started going from eight hours, seven hours, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero, and sort of saw how his body reacted. And he was able to realize at one hour of sleep, two hours of sleep, three hours of sleep, he essentially was going insane. But at four hours of sleep, he was able to engineer it in a way where he was able to stay uh, fully alert. And he essentially calculated that by going from eight hours to four hours, And using that time to work, he was essentially adding an extra two months onto his calendar year. So he had a 14-month work year as opposed to a 12-month work year. Um, And he essentially spends all that extra time in the library doing extra research papers, doing extra studying, not knowing how it would pay off, but sort of just hoping that this was his his shot. Sure enough, you know, you can't – you can – it's like farming. You can control the how you water the plants, how you tend the soil, but you can't really control the weather. And sure enough, one day it's raining and it's a Saturday. And normally on Saturdays was the one day a week he would ride his bicycle back to the village to visit his parents. But because it was raining, he couldn't ride his bicycle. So he was sort of just like stuck in his dorm room, again, just studying more and doing more research papers. Just because it was raining. That's the only reason he was there. And he hears a knock on his door and he opens the door and it's one of his friends from his department and says, Hey, we actually have this visiting professor from Carnegie Mellon giving a guest lecture, but because it's raining, no one's on campus and uh, the seats are completely empty and the speech is about to start. Can you come? We just like need some people to sit there. So it's not rude. And Chi Lu goes, yeah, you know, I'm happy to. Goes, sits down, listens to this lecture on computer science. And at the end, you know, in the question and answer portion, Chilu raises hand and asks him like really, you know, very thoughtful question. At the end of the session, the professor, the Carnegie Mellon professor, goes up to this, you know, young, you know, 27-year-old Chilu and says, wow, those questions were really insightful. Have you ever done any research on this topic? And the truth was, Chilu had actually written three research papers on the topic. (laughs) And the professor goes, "Uh, can I see them? And Chilu's like, yep, be right back. And sprints up to his dorm room, grabs the papers, runs back down, hands them to the professor. professors looking through them. And on the spot says, have you ever thought about coming to study in America? And Chilu tells him it's his biggest dream, but there's a problem. In order to even take the entrance exams to see if you qualify to apply to an American university, it was, I think, like $60. He's making $8 a month. $7 to eat. $1 would go back to his parents in the village. And the professor goes, I'm covering your entrance exam and your application fees. So, Chile takes the entrance exam, files the application. And a few months later, gets a letter in the mail saying, "Congratulations, you're given a full ride to Carnegie Mellon to get your PhD." Wow! And that's where his journey and his career set off. And from there, he goes to IBM, and from there, he goes to Yahoo, where he goes to build Yahoo Search, Yahoo Shopping. Eventually, becomes a vice president at Yahoo, in charge of all search engine optimization, and then Microsoft uh, poaches him to become. The head of the Bing search engine and cloud computing at Microsoft.
0: Now, why is that? So, question. When I brought this up, it was in the context of of, of redefining what luck is. Why mm-hmm. is that re- redefining luck? Because there is still a big component of luck in that story.
1: Yeah, I, I remember I, when I was sitting with Lu, I looked at him and I said, "On the one hand, if the weather was sunny on that Saturday, yeah, you would." It's fair to say you may not be sitting here as the president of Microsoft. And he laughed and he goes, you know, there's a point to that. It's possible. Who knows? You know, it's impossible yeah. to know. But yeah, he, he sort of was like, I get your point. That's funny. And then at the same time, there was nothing lucky about the fact that Chilu was the only person in that room with that Carnegie Mellon professor who had done three research papers on the topic True. and had them up in his dorm room ready to go. And I asked Chi Lu, I was like, look, I'm sort of torn. Are you the luckiest person on earth or are you the just the hardest working person on earth? And Chi Lu says, look, I do believe in luck. <laughs> luck but I don't think luck work. operates. Yeah. yeah, he said, you know, I don't think luck operates the way everybody assumes it does. He said, the way I see luck is that luck is like a bus. You know, if you're standing at the bus stop and you just so happen to miss that bus, eventually another bus is going to come around. But the only way you can get onto that bus is by paying your fare in the form of preparation. So if you're never prepared, it doesn't matter how many times the bus comes around, you'll never be able to get on.
0: I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Get Abstract. Now, if you're trying to figure out where to get information from, where to learn, where to read. There's so much stuff out there. It's like information overload. What get abstract does is it finds rates and summarizes top business books, articles, and video talks into 10 minute abstracts to help people make better decisions in business and their private lives. I know you don't have hours to kill, but you still want to learn. You still want to upskill. This is where Get Abstract really helps. Over 22,000 text and audio summaries in areas such as leadership, finance, innovation, health, and science, and many more. If you want to get to the meat of various texts, articles, books, videos, go sign up for Get Abstract. You can get a free month for all Success Story podcast listeners by visiting getab.li slash success that is get ab g-e-t-a-b dot l-i slash success you apply the third door in your own life you've done it multiple times um the one other case study best best thing i can think of the way to call it i guess case study or 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 practical application is when you asked warren buffett a question so I also think that's I think that just, you know, we talk about the president of, of Microsoft, we speak about Bill Gates. And then we can also speak about Alex, who you live this, and you, you, you've internalized it. And this is how you get what you want in life. So not to say you're not as impressive as Bill Gates, or Chilu,
1: um, I would I would agree with that statement. <laughs> I uh, yeah, definitely don't think so, but I appreciate the, the comment. Um, but even even that
0: last that last because I think uh the the chance of you asking uh Warren Buffett um, a question is like one in a thousand at one of these shareholder meetings or something, even more astronomical. I don't That's know the right. odds, but uh, yeah, it is about one in a thousand. So how do you hack even small little everyday <laughs> situations to get to get what you want?
1: <laughs> God, I hope people don't walk away from this. And be like, wow, Alex is really good at game shows. <laughs> I think that's all they're gonna get. But that, well, that listen, is a take-away. I guess that is a takeaway though. It there's a lot of difficult.
0: there's a lot of practical like I I hope that they can extrapolate some of the things that you've just taught to okay, yeah, maybe he did do it in a game show, but there's a lot of things that I could replicate from this. Yeah. And, and that's and essentially that what life. the
1: the story of the third door is. Yeah. The way the book is written. Yes, it starts with the Price is Right story in chapter one and two, but essentially, the way I think about it as a writer is, you know, a great musical starts with that overture, that opening song, and it actually plays throughout the whole musical in different ways. I remember when I was writing The Third Door, I would sit down with my editor, and it started dawning on me. I didn't have the idea in the beginning. It sort of came to me as it was happening. I was like, oh. The price is right energy. And I didn't know this. I wasn't self aware. I was, you know, this teenager going on this journey. It was only when I was writing that I was able to step back and look at this seven year journey and see that, oh my goodness, the energy of the price is right is the same energy of how I got the Warren Buffett situation, how I got the Bill Gates interview. about the Spielberg disaster of how I went to the South of France to try to interview him, They're like, all of these stories actually all had the same energy. And essentially if I had to summarize third door philosophy in a single sentence, it's that at the end of the day, there's always a way. You No matter what obstacles stand in front of you, at the end of the day, there's always a way. I love
0: that. I love that. But how did you get? I still need to know that you didn't answer the question. Uh, The Warren Buffett Buffett story.
1: (laughs) The Warren Buffett story. For anyone who uh, is a Warren Buffett fan, uh, you know, you know, most people know him as the most successful investor in financial history. Uh, And what the super, you know, fans know is that he has this thing called the Berkshire Hathaway annual shareholders meeting. You know, his company is Berkshire Hathaway. He has this annual meeting where thirty thousand people. Fly out to Omaha, Nebraska, sit in a big stadium, and essentially hear updates from Berkshire Hathaway, and there's a QA and a portion where people in the audience get to ask Warren Buffett questions um, at a microphone. And I had spent at this point about six or eight months trying to get an interview with Warren Buffett, writing him handwritten letters. He actually would handwrite his responses back to me, but the answer is always no. So after about eight months of this, his assistant, Debbie, you know, I would call her every Wednesday. One Wednesday, she just, you know, after six months, she just was like, listen, Alex, look, you're a nice kid, but I just got to tell you, I know Warren, and I know the answer is no. So how about just as my guest, you come to our annual shareholders meeting and I'll send you some tickets. I was like, "Oh my God, that's you know, that's really kind of you." And she's like, "Yeah, you can even bring some of your friends." I said, "Can I bring like five friends?" Said, yeah, I'll, I'll send you six tickets. I was like, "Wow, thank you." And then she goes, "Yeah, just come out and enjoy the shareholders meeting." I said, "Well, Debbie, though, isn't it true that at the shareholders meeting, people in the audience can ask questions to Warren Buffett?" You know, during the Q and A portion. She goes, "Alex, Alex, Alex." <laughs> Look, I know what you're thinking, it just, it's not possible. There's 30,000 people there, only about 30 get to ask questions. Your odds are one in a thousand. I wouldn't get your hopes up. What Debbie doesn't know about me is I am the king of hopes up. So I end up going with my five, you know, childhood best friends. We fly out to Omaha, Nebraska, you know, we're staying at the motel six, all six of us in one room, and we go to Warren Buffett's shareholders meeting. And we end up sort of without a plan, but we just had this philosophy of just like the price is right, there must be a way. And sure enough, we find out a loophole in Warren Buffett's lottery system. And out of the six of us, we entered this lottery system. And even though our odds were in 1,000, out of the six of us, four got winning lottery tickets. And that's how we asked our questions to Warren Buffett in front of 30,000 people.
0: You're good. You're good at this. You're very good at this. I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> well, it also was a train it was a disaster. It was a train crash uh, in many ways. What did, you, what did you ask him? So there's the thing about Warren Buffett. He is a, uh, he's a very clever foe. So,
0: he is clever. You didn't get that he's way. He's a very clever, clever
1: man. So I thought I was really clever like hacking his shareholders meeting and asking him the question. He caught on very quickly to what was happening. To the point where, by the time my fourth friend went up to the microphone with my like questions that were like extremely researched and premeditated, and you know, I had them printed out on cards and I handed them out to my friends, by the time my fourth friend went up to the microphone, Warren Buffett just looks at my friend and says, "You know I think this is a good point to end the meeting. Thank you, everyone, and just shuts off the microphone That's so, funny. Uh, so you know i've never I've never sat down with a guy at this point, so i i I'll never know if he if that was just the craziest coincidence of all time. Um, But he was catching on to the point where even when I was asking him some of my other questions, um, he was very dodgy with the answers. And one of the most important lessons I learned from this experience is by complete random different path, I ended up getting the interview with Bill Gates through a different way. And right around that same time, about a few months later, and when I did the interview with Bill Gates, the interview went so well that Bill Gates's chief of staff said, look, Alex, that was phenomenal. We love what you're doing. We love the mission. We love that you're trying to help, you know, the next generation of entrepreneurs. So how can we help you? And I was like, oh, God, I have a lot of ways you can help me. <laughs> um, so I like showed them my list of people I wanted to interview and sure enough, you know, they look at Warren Buffett and they go, ah, oh, Bill and Warren are best friends. That's easy when I'll just put in that call tomorrow. I'm like, coach, my God, this is amazing. I'll never know exactly what happened, but I get an email from Bill Gates, chief of staff, about a week later. And the email says, Dear Alex, please no more contact to Warren's office. Thank you. Really? And huh. in that moment, it dawned on me not only was the answer still no, I had gotten myself blacklisted. And every business book talks about the value of persistence. But I had never seen a business book ever tell you about the dangers of over-persistence. Where you can knock on the door so many times, the person on the other side locks the door and calls the police. Mm -hmm. And I had always assumed persistence is about knocking on a door a hundred times. It wasn't until that moment that I realized that persistence is actually about knocking on a hundred different doors. And I had to learn the hard way that it's possible to be so over-persistent. It's possible to dig yourself into such a deep hole that even Bill Gates can't pull you out.
0: It's another good lesson. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. So that's, so even when, his, even when his chief of staff reached out, it was at this point, though, it was like you'd already reached out a lot. So I'm assuming. Yeah, this know, is
1: after eight months of pounding, them, I'm happy. this sure your meeting. I, I had really. Uh, that's funny. I had really screwed myself up. That's funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, live, live and learn. I mean, you got a lot of pretty damn good interviews, so. I'd say I'd say you did all right. Um, all right. So what do you what do you want to. You know, after after creating the third door, the concept, the book, What's what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to impart on the world? And I ask this because you said yourself, if somebody doesn't want to believe there's a workaround or doesn't want to maybe step outside that line for the club, mm-hmm. you can't help them. So what do you want to impart on the world knowing that it's gonna take a person to have some self awareness to take that first step out of the line anyways?
1: You know, there's a uh, there's a story that I really love that I think about a lot, and it's a story I read during my research about a teacher who's teaching uh, with the program Teach for America, and she was assigned to a school in Baltimore, uh, you know, really rough school, really rough part of town, and she's assigned to maybe third or fourth grade, and she realizes these kids need some inspiration. So she says, all right, today we're all going to draw pictures of our biggest dream in life. You know, what we want to be when we grow up. So she passed out the papers and the crayons and all the kids start coloring. Except one boy sitting in the back of the class. You know, his face is stoic. He won't touch a crayon. But about five minutes later, his eyes, his eyes light up and he starts coloring. And... The teacher at the end of the day is going through the papers and sees that this young boy read a, you know, drew a picture of a pizza delivery man. The teacher was very concerned. So the teacher called the mother that night and explained what had happened. And the mother said that she wasn't surprised. The mother explained that the only male figure in his life, in this boy's life, who wasn't in jail or on drugs was his uncle who delivers pizza. And what I learned from that story is that young people will always reach for the highest branch they believe is possible. They will always reach for the highest branch they believe is possible. So it's our jobs, whether it's schools, families, or the business community at large, to illuminate more branches. And that's really my mission moving forward.
0: I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now the new year might have you thinking ahead to what you want out of your career. So when you think about your success story, what do you actually picture? Is it retiring early with a beautiful view of the skyline? Is it leaving a legacy with your name on it? Or maybe it's helping influence and change some of the world's most pressing issues. Whatever it is, writing your success story starts by working smart. Because when you work smart, your success story writes itself. A HubSpot CRM platform helps your marketing campaigns work harder and smarter with intuitive visual workflows and bot builders. You can create scalable, automated campaigns across email, social media, web, and chat. So your customers hear your messages loud and clear. Are you tired of your content, not adapting to mobile, making it difficult for your customers to absorb your message? A HubSpot CRM platform optimizes your content for multiple devices so that you can reach your customers wherever they are which is just smart. Learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with a HubSpot CRM at hubspot.com. I love that. Thank you, I appreciate that. That's an amazing, that's a beautiful story. You're a very good, you're a very good storyteller. I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke, you're a very good storyteller. Your analogies are, are strong, so thank you. Um, okay, I want to wrap this up with a few rapid fire questions just to pull us some insights sure. from you before that though most importantly where do people connect with you what are the places people should go check out social website anything you want to drop
1: yeah uh, you know if if you like audiobooks you know the third doors on audible and itunes if you like physical books you know um, obviously amazon barnes & noble ebooks you know wherever you like books uh it's there uh, and if you ended up listening to this and reading the book because of it uh, let me know, you know, Instagram is at Alex Benayan, uh, Twitter, same thing. Uh, and we'd love to just say, uh, thank you. And here you think.
0: Amazing. Okay. Biggest challenge you've overcome in your personal professional life. What was that? How'd you overcome it?
1: Biggest challenge. um, probably when my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in personal life. Yeah, that was. That was definitely one of the hardest. How did you not let that affect you, even
0: though it did? No, it, it, it affected I, I, me. <laughs> even though it did, but how did no, you? it did, did you... affect
1: me. Um, how did I? How did I manage it? Yes. Um, with therapy, uh, and with a book called "When Things Fall Apart" by Pema yes. Chodron. There was that was the single resource outside of a therapist and friends and family that I that I can point to. Uh, there's
0: been many people that have had an impact on your life, but if you had to pick one, who was it and what did they teach you?
1: Ooh. Outside of family or including family? Open-ended. You choose. Uh, well, including family, it's, you know, my mother is an easy, is the... It's
0: either mother, wife, father, you know. <laughs> oh, it's a,
1: well, when you, when you do outside of family or outside of relatives, then you start going to like business mentors and whatnot. Um, and then friends. Um do you have one in particular? I gl- oh, go, yeah. ahead. Go, ahead. go ahead. Well, you know, definitely with my mother. Um, you know, she's actually changed what I believe is possible. When my dad uh, passed away, seeing the way my mom um, not only like stayed afloat, but actually, completely had a rebirth in some ways and allowed herself to be. You know, one of the things it says in that book when things fall apart is by allowing yourself to be completely destructed, do you find the parts of yourself that are indestructible? Uh, Amazing. I know my mom went through that and I went through that. And, uh, Seeing her grow and heal and transform uh, in her 50s, um, she's just the you know biggest light of my life.
0: You've now touched on this already, but I'll ask anyways, um, a book or podcast you'd recommend people go check out? It could be what you just mentioned or there could be others as
1: well. Uh, one of my favorite books of the past couple of years is a book called Einstein and the Rabbi. And the subtitle is called Searching for the Soul. Uh, The title is a bit like uh, misleading, but the subtitle really gets to what the book is about, which is really about exploring what the soul is and nurturing your connection with your soul and uh, being able to listen to it. And I loved that book.
0: Um, If you could tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would it be?
1: You're going to be fine. Relax. Enjoy it. You're gonna be it's gonna work out great. Uh the 20-year-old self would say, You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be terrified in order for this to work. Um, it always works though. It always works. And by the way, if someone by the way, people say that to me today, and I go, Little do you know. <laughs> um, and then last question. What does success mean to you? At this point in my life, it's doing things in a way that I'm proud of, helping people in a way that feels like it's unique to my destiny and path in life, and the love and the relationships that I'm able to have along the whole journey.
0: If you need more bells and whistles for compliance, so on and so forth, they have enterprise options too. Honestly, losing data sucks, but Backblaze makes getting it back easy. with no risk at backblaze.com slash story. They set up that link for all success story podcast listeners. That is a no-risk, free trial at backblaze.com slash story. Seriously, back up your stuff. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. me They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get twenty percent off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindelete.me.com/success and use promo code SUCCESS at checkout. The only way to get twenty percent off is to go to joindelete.me.com/success and enter code SUCCESS at checkout. joindeletem dot com/success. I want to thank Belay for sponsoring today's episode. They provide solutions that all of us need. They help us get back more of our time because time is the most precious resource. A lot of you listening...